Do we have anybody among us this morning that's training to run a marathon? Anybody? Oh, that's bad. Because I found out today in the Bible while I was studying, we're all called to run a marathon. And we need to get to training to run one. You know, when the, it's hard to believe now when you look at me at 53 years of age that I used to run marathons. Back when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to run marathons as a platoon. We'd go down to Los Angeles and, and we'd run the Los Angeles Marathon. And not only would we run the thing, we would actually sing the whole way that we went around the course. And you know, we trained for years and years to run a marathon. And you see, it took a lot of physical training to run a race that lasted for hours and went 26 miles. Well, let me tell you what, it takes a lot of spiritual training and spiritual physical fitness to run a race that lasts for your entire lifetime. But that's exactly what God's called us to do. And to run that race, not only run it, but run it successfully and gloriously singing all the way. Hey everybody, if you turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 12, I want to show you where in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, God challenges us not to be spiritually weak in the knees. Hey, what does that mean when God says don't be spiritually weak in the knees? Don't be feeble-armed and weak in the knees. What God is saying to us is we need to be strong in our walk with the Lord. So not only can we run the race laid out for us, we can help the others around us who fall down. We can carry them along the way. You see, in the Marine Corps, we used to always train and train and train. Not only did we want to be in good enough shape that we could make it, we wanted to be in good enough shape that if someone was down, we could carry them all the way home. You see, that was important to us because we understood that we were in a war. And so many Christians seem not to understand that there's a spiritual war we're in and people are, are being seriously wounded. And they need to be carried sometimes. So not only need to be strong enough spiritually and in spiritual shape, good enough to carry our own weight, we need to be able to carry those along with us who find themselves in a struggle. Hey, everybody, as we look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, listen to how God tells us that we should run the race. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And then just a little few, few verses farther down in verse 12, he closes this thought by saying, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Hey, everybody, it's really important. If you're going to run a race, that you get in good enough shape that you can finish it. Right? Have you ever been to a marathon race? Have you ever watched one? Thousands of people come. Literally, in the Los Angeles Marathon, tens of thousands of people came. And only maybe a handful 
hoped to win. Maybe there were 20 or 30 that thought they might win. And then all the rest of the thousands, what were they doing there if they couldn't win? What was their purpose for coming to run in this race if they couldn't win? They wanted to see if they could finish the race. You see, the victory of the marathon is in finishing the race. Because as you run the race, things happen to your body. Your body has the ability to store up energy for a while. And then when you get to about 15, 17, 18 miles, depending on how well conditioned you are, your body starts to run out of its resources. And when it starts to run out of its resources, it starts to cry out for you to stop. And you'll see everybody hit that wall at some point and want to stop. And then the body literally starts to feed upon itself because it's out of energy. And at that point, everybody's mind starts to say, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to finish this race. And then they look at the people beside them and those people beside them encourage them. Because of the great cloud of witnesses, because of the, all the other runners that aren't stopping, they don't stop. And one feeds off the other and they carry one another on. And then that feeling passes. And about mile 21, 22, you start to feel lighter and energy starts to return to your body as finally you've overcome your mind and the idea that you're not going to finish the race and you know victory is at hand. You can see the end and you know you're going to make it. You're going to finish the race. And oh, what joy comes to everybody at the end of the race. And you see, we train like that and we work like that to win a race and we don't even get the crown even. Just a t-shirt that doesn't fit anymore because I don't run marathons. <laughs> hey, God's called us to a race, right? And he's called us to run with perseverance, the race laid out for us. But this race is spiritual, and unlike our physical bodies that grow old and get weary, our spiritual body just gets stronger as you go. It just gets stronger as you grow. And at the end... You're stronger than at the very beginning. Let's take a look at this race. You know, sometimes when we talk to people about the Bible and we teach people about the Bible, we say to them things they don't understand exactly what we mean. So many of you have heard this scripture, but have you really? You know, the scripture says, let us throw off. Listen to what it says here in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All right, my question is this. What in the world does that mean? Let us throw off what and run where? Right? Throw off what and run where? You know, that, all of a sudden you say, well, I don't know. Throw off, I don't know what to throw off. Where do you run? I don't know where. Can you imagine going to a race and they don't show you which way to go? They don't lay out the path for you? Hey, here, I've got a question for you. What is it you need to throw off that so easily is entangling you that you can run the race? Just laid out for you. Throw off what and run where? Hey, everybody, the Bible says we need to throw off everything that hinders. For each of us, that might be something different. If I were to ask you, hey, I need you to go with us. I'm praying about you going with us on a mission trip. I believe that God's calling you to go. You know what you need to throw off? Whatever comes to mind that hinders you from going. 
For each of us, that'll be something different. You'll say, well, I can't go. I have what? Throw, throw that off, whatever that is. I can't because I what? Throw that off. That's hindering you from running your race. I can't come forward to accept Jesus because what? What's holding you back? What's hindering you? What's stopping you? I can remember what it was for me. My love of the mountains, my independence, and my desire to be what I wanted to be in spite of what God wanted me to be. How many of you remember the, the visit God had with Moses? And he said, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, I can't do that. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I can't do that. I've tried that before and failed. I can't do that because I don't want to. Please, son, somebody else. You know, anytime we face a calling from God to do anything, we come up with a thousand issues. I can't go pastor at Lakewood Baptist Church in Phoenix City, Alabama. I am a mountain man. And the qualifications on the application said, I had to be of a right mind. <laughs> Each of us has our own hinder. Each of us has our own burden, our own baggage. We're like someone running through the Airport trying to get there in a hurry, carrying too big a bag. Throw down the bag if you're in a hurry, you'll run much faster. You see, the baggage we carry along with us is holding us back. And you know what? The sin that so easily entangles us is often already forgiven. So many of us here today are dealing with the idea that we're not qualified to do something great for God because somewhere, somehow, we made a mistake. And God could never use us now because we were once what? God could never use me now because I once was a what? You see, that's the sin that so easily entangles us because we fail to listen and hear and understand the truth Listen to me. The word of God is true. And God did say, for my own sake, I have blotted out your transgressions and I remember your sins no more. The end. What bothers us is we put a question mark where God has an explanation. God said what? For my own sake, I have blotted out your transgressions and I remember your sins no more. Therefore, you cannot be disqualified for anything you've ever done because God knows nothing about it. You're the only one carrying that baggage that hinders you. That old sin that God has forgiven, you're carrying it with you like it's your present day reality. No, you were born again, a new creation. In Christ Jesus, when you accepted him, the old passed away. You're not retreaded, made over, fixed up, picked up, cleaned up, and brushed off. You're remade, a new creation in Christ Jesus, brand new. 
You see, the baggage that so easily entangles us is sin that's already been forgiven. And it's the devil's plan to make you carry that bag. God's plan for you is to drop it and run. How many of us are running the devil's race instead of God's race for us today? We refuse to throw that baggage off and just run. You see, he says, hey, throw off those things that entangle you, everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you and run with perseverance, what? Where? The race laid out for you. Hey, let me tell you a truth. It takes faith to please God. And faith is taking actions based on your belief but not seeing it firsthand for yourself. If you want to run this race, it takes faith. And the real truth is, The race God has for you, you will not believe it. When he tells you where to go, you will not believe that's right. When he tells you what he has planned for you, you will not believe it's true. When he tries to bless you, you'll fight it with all you've got because you'll think you're headed in the wrong direction. You see, because God's thoughts are not your thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. And therefore, when God calls us to do something, we fight him all the way. How many of you have heard me talk about leaving the mountains and going to Kansas City? And you think those are speed bumps along the interstate. Those are my claw marks where God drug me across Kansas and I was scratching and clawing all the way. Because I thought he was taking me there to punish me. He must have been mad at me to send me there. So I applied to get out of there. What's God do? Sends me further east to St. Louis. I fought him. I fought him with everything in me. I said, what'd I do to you? You you just give me one worse assignment after another. Until I got there. And there was an angel in the choir there who happened to be working with the church plant there that I was working with that's now my wife. You see, God was taking me to the biggest blessing I would know in this physical lifetime. And I fought him all the way. You see, you won't realize the race run out for you. It, it, it won't seem right for you. It'll seem wrong for you. At times, it'll seem crazy. And the next thing you know, you'll end up in some place you never heard of, doing something you never dreamed of that's better than anything you ever hoped for. Or ever imagined. Who knows? You might end up being the pastor of Lakewood Baptist Church. Right? I know it happened to me. So he says, hey, run where? The, the course laid out for you. Well, how? How will I know the race marked out for me? How do I know that? By fixing my eyes on Jesus. Just follow me. You know, some people have this strange, perverse view of God. It isn't true. You got to get him out of that box. He's not mean. He's not mean-spirited. He's not ornery. And he's not unfair. You might say to me, well, Brother Amar, I don't believe that. I don't believe for a minute that God's unfair and he's mean-spirited and he's ornery. Well, tell me, if I were invisible and I knew it and I said to you, follow me or else. But I didn't show you where I was and I hid from you all the time. Just exactly what kind of person would I be? But yet Christians everywhere seem to think that way. 
I can't follow God. How do I see him? He's invisible. Well, it's easy to see where he's at. If only you'd take time to learn. Hey, we're having experiencing God classes. They're coming up. And the best part of experiencing God, the part of experiencing God classes that changed my life was seeing God at work so you can join him. There's a, th- there's a group of teachings in the Bible of things that only God can do. Only he can do those things. And when you see those things, you see him. If these windows were clear and I said to you today, look out that window. Tell me, is the wind blowing? Is the wind blowing out there? You'd look out and you'd say, oh, look at that flag. I can see that flag waving in the breeze. Hey, look at those leaves on those trees. Look at the leaves and, and brush blowing across the yard. And you'd tell me, yes, the wind's blowing and it's going that way. I'd say to you, how do you know that? The wind's invisible. How can you see? You say, well, you can see the effect of the wind on the trees. You can see the effect of God wherever he's at. And you can easily follow him. You see, God may be invisible, but he's loving and he's kind. And he said for you to follow him in the race. And he would show you the way. And he is faithful And he is true. I guarantee you, if you come to Experiencing God classes, you will walk out of there knowing how to see God at work and where he is so you can join him. I'm telling you, it changed my life. Why do I teach it everywhere I go? I'll tell you why. It changed my life. Learning to hear God speak and see where he is. Hey, for many of you, maybe Thursday night's not a good night. I've had requests to have it on another night. So guess what? Four o'clock on Sunday, we'll do it too. So either of those nights you can come because I want you to know the truth of running the race that's laid out for you. Hey, how do you know? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him and follow him. He'll never lead you to any place. He cannot sustain you and keep you safe. You understand that? God will take you to places you never dreamed you could go, and he will accomplish things in and through you you never dreamed you could do. And here I go back to this saying I say all the time, hey, you'll look at those things and you'll say, God, I can't do this. And God will say, I never said you could, but I can do it through you, and I promise you I would. Now get in there and get it. Run the race. Give it a try. With God, all things possible. Well, how will I know the race marked out for me? How will I know what God wants for me by following Jesus? Why? 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 Why all this? Why does he want me to do this? Why? So you will not grow weary and weak in the knees. How about that? Listen to what he says here in verse 5. He He says what? And you have forgotten the great word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. You hear what he says? You've forgotten the great word of encouragement. You've forgotten the great promise. You are my children, and I will not leave you nor forsake you, right? I want, I want you to not grow weary. I want you to not grow tired. I want you to finish this race and I want you to live it victoriously. I want you to know what it is to not grow weary, right? I want you to know what it is to be successful in the things you do. I want you to reach out and be successful. Listen in verse 3 what it says. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
How do marathon runners, how do they make it? Why do they do it? How do they make it? They look around them at the other thousands who haven't yet given up. Look around you at the multitude that hasn't yet given up that are ahead of you in the race and been running the race longer than you have and they have not lost heart. Take heart in their example. Take heart in their, their lives and their witness and their testimony. Ask them how they did it and they'll tell you the same thing through the encouragement of the saints. Listen how this text starts. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And because of it, we're greatly encouraged to not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't be weak in the knees. Hey, how does all this happen? You see, maintaining spiritual vitality starts and finishes in the same spot. It starts and finishes with the realization of our need for Christian fellowship. How about that? We were created in God's image. We are like him spiritually. And we thrive on love. And that love is only found in the fellowship of the saints. You might say to me, oh, Brother Hamilton, I can worship on the lake. Yes, you can, but you won't. I know. Because when I'm on the lake, I'm just as possessed as you are. Why do I love fishing? Why do I like to go to the lake? Because when I cast my fly in that river and it's floating down through that strike zone and I'm thinking a trout's coming nothing else in the world matters I can't think of anything else I'm totally encompassed when I'm out on the lake in, my, in the boat and I cast that perfect cast up by that brush and my lure's coming by and I'm anticipating a bite <laughs> at that moment the world fades away and I'm trapped in that innocence that feeling of expectation I could worship the Lord there, I guess, but I won't. Because, you see, worshiping the Lord takes others. It takes people. You see, we were created for fellowship. We grow and strengthen ourselves in fellowship. It's through the cloud of witnesses that we are encouraged to not quit the race in the middle right before we're done. Every marathon runner thinks he's going to quit. He can't make it. And some do quit, and they fail to get the prize of finishing the race. Hey, you know, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon tried to help us to understand that there's no place for the long ranger, and that we all need one another. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's an incredible truth. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And when that first strand is God and his desire to fellowship with us, second is man created to fellowship with him, third is through the church and the fellowship of the saints. And when God and man come together in the church, that thread can never be broken. 
No matter how great the storm that comes your way, through the fellowship of the saints, you will have the strength to hold. No matter what comes your way, no matter how weary you get, no matter what it seems to be, that strand will never be broken. Through the fellowship and the encouragement of the saints, the realization that we're not alone and many have gone before us and done it, is the secret to finishing the race. You see, maintaining our spiritual vitality is the work and the ministry of worship. Hey, why are we here in worship? For entertainment? No, for encouragement. Why are we here in worship? To be in the presence of the Lord, to experience His power and His renewal. Hey, it's here that we declare our total dependence on God. Here, in worship, we express our love through obedience. Here, we find peace through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Here, we praise God for the gift He's given us of one another. Here, we get to see our prayers for one another answered. Here, we have our attitudes changed a little. <laughs> I've been warning people, I've been getting ready to say this for years. Hey, everybody, you know, you're, when you're spiritually weak, you'll know it because your attitude will just go to pot. But when you're spiritually on top of things, all of a sudden, your way you see things becomes totally different. Hey, this message is for all of you who are watching at home today and you're seeing the church and you say, I don't know if I want to go there or not. That church is always full. What if I sit in somebody's seat? I got good news for you. I'm telling you, we are spiritually on fire around here. We've been praying, and we've been praying for you to visit. So if you come in and you sit my seat, I'm going to start singing hallelujah. Praise the Lord. A visitor's in my seat. My prayers have been answered. Everybody here says amen. So come visit. Sit in their seat. They're going to sing hallelujah. They're here. Their prayers have been answered. We got a visitor in our church. That's what we're about, right? That's where our attitude should be, right? That's where we'll be if we're running the race. Want to be great if someone else runs beside us in this race. Hey, maintaining spiritual vitality requires us to stop from time to time and lift up our eyes and see the truth of our opportunity, a vision the way God sees it. In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus looks up and he says, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now right here in this part of the world, you don't have agriculture like we did up in Missouri where I came from. Their agriculture was everywhere. And I was friends with a lot of farmers. And they work all year long preparing their ground and, and planning and strategizing and doing everything just right and putting the fertilizer on just right and planting just at the right time. And then at the very end of the year comes the harvest. And the harvest is a time of excitement and enthusiasm. The harvest is a time of plenty and abundance. It's a time when they get to go out and reap the rewards of all they've done. The harvest is a wonderful time, a celebration time, a Thanksgiving time. No farmer's happier than when he's in his combine and he drives into that field and that monitor on that combine starts reading more than he thought. There's more there than he dreamed. That The corn is better than he ever dreamed it could be. And he's Praises the Lord as he drives around in circles, one truckload of abundance on top of the other, and realizes that he is blessed. Did you hear what the Lord says? 
The fields are ripe unto harvest. God has a race for you. It's a race of plenty, of abundance, of joy and thanksgiving. You, my friends, have been called to the harvest. And the fields are white unto harvest. Oh, what a glorious race we've been called to run. Because our race ends in harvest. You see, maintaining our spiritual vitality is found in the gift also of serving one another. As we come together and we come together in this place, let us be loving to one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us uplift one another, right? Because in so doing, we reap the harvest. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10 read, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Listen to what it says. Let us not become weary in doing good. Run the race. Don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you're going to reap a tremendous harvest. I'd like today to ask you all, have you even started on the race laid out for you? Did you realize God had a race ran out for you? That you're here and you have a purpose and the purpose is to run a race and that race is going to take you to places you never dreamed you could go or ever imagined you would be. But the race starts. It starts when you bow a knee to Christ Jesus. When you pray to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And he then gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which empowers you to run the race. Then the race will begin for you. For all of you who know Jesus. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You've followed him in believer's baptism. Where are you at in your race? How is your race going? How are you doing? Do you need a hand? Maybe you need us to carry you along right now until you can get your feet under you and get back in the race. Whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever burden that's weighed you down that you think you can't run this race, throw that off right now. This is the moment. This is the time. Throw that off right now and run. Run the race for Jesus. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we pause in this moment, as we begin to have this time we call an invitation, I pray with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind that if there are any among us that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, who's never begun the race, that this would be the day they put the first step on that track. They bow the knee to you. They accept you as their Lord and Savior. They receive the gift and start in the race. For all the rest of us who know you and have begun the race, perhaps some have fallen. I pray that today they would find the strength to get up, to get back into the race, to celebrate the victory of all you have planned for them. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in our midst today and God's been speaking to you, we're about to have our hymn of invitation.
If you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, but you'd like to, won't you come let me share with you what the Bible says you need to do to be saved. If you do know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, but you, for some reason, dropped out of the race, hey, this, this area, this altar is open. Come get back in the race. God will forgive you. God will restore you. God would love to run with you again. Any decision, perhaps you're here and God's been working on your heart. Any decision on your heart, won't you come? Will you stand? Thank you. please be seated for a moment. Hey, Chandra Rhodes comes this morning. She's been attending our 930 and now she's come this morning wanting to link up with this church. She's feeling that God has called her and her family to this church. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we look forward to running the race with you. <laughs> hey, everyone. God bless you and thank you so very much. We'll just greet you. We'll, everyone, before you leave, make sure and greet her before you go. Stay right. All right, just a couple quick announcements before you head out. I want to remind you, if you're a Bible fellowship teacher, an adult Bible fellowship teacher, then you have a meeting uh, this afternoon. I believe it's at 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall. Is that right, Terry? In the room 206 on the top floor of the South Educational Building. So 5 p.m., please make sure you're there if you're an adult. Sunday school teacher. 
Our uh, flowers up here in memory of Miss Lois. Love Miss Lois was a great, committed worker in the youth program, far beyond when I was there. But when, when I got here, man, she lavished her love on me. And, uh, and probably everybody in here she called Turkey at one time or another. Uh, so uh, we love Miss Lois. Uh, love Mr. Homer, wherever you're at, Homer. I saw you earlier. Oh, there you are, Homer. Hello, Homer. I was looking for you back at the back. So uh, just uh, remember Miss Lois today. We want to invite you back tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, you have an opportunity to hear some great music. Uh, you see who's going to be singing, Chris and Cindy Hess, Mike and Buddy Helton, and Daniel Windsor. That's tonight here at 6, expecting a big crowd, so make sure you get here early to grab you a seat. And then afterwards, just an extra reason to come, we're going to have a good old-fashioned fish fry. So come this evening. Thank you to those that brought fish. A lot of you showed up on Friday and brought by some fish, so we're excited about that. Uh, John's been working since before I got here this morning to uh, prepare that fish, so uh, pray for him as, he, uh, as he's working down there. Did you already make the announcement about helping out? No? All right. As you make your way out, John needs your help. John Giles needs your help. There's a big board in the uh, foyer out there, and he needs some people that are willing to serve. So please go by there and uh, sign up. Uh, anything that you're willing to help out with, we've got a place for you. So if you can come and be willing to serve, then please come by and that, sign up on that board before you go. Okay? I believe that's all of our announcements. We're going to have her come stand up here. All right. Chandra Nicole Rhodes. Good to see you again. She's been coming to the first service, so I see her all the time. All right, so it's good to have her again. We hope that you'll come by. If you are uh, excited that she's coming to join this morning, will you say to God, be the glory? God be the glory. Amen. We're excited about her. She's coming from uh, Colonial Heights Baptist Church by letter of statement, okay? Make sure you come by before you uh, leave. It's good to see you this morning. Hope to see you again tonight. You're dismissed. <laughs>